one of the problems I think that happens in this idea of this entrepreneurial mindset is this fear without any real investment in fixing it. The actual ability to fix this, it needs to be respected. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Vinny, welcome to the show. Hey, Caleb. Thanks for having me, buddy. So we met in Austin, Texas, and I remember just being blown away by hearing your story and mm-hmm. hearing how passionate you were. And then also a lot of people that I would highly respect would like name drop you everywhere. And so I'm like, I got to meet this guy. And then hearing your full journey was mm-hmm. one of the most humbling things that I've ever experienced. And so I'm hoping to capture a couple things. Obviously, you're a CEO of a company that will relate tremendously to my audience. So I want to hear the and your wisdom on that front. I want to get your background story, but then I also want to get your thoughts on wealth because I think we're very aligned in certain areas as it relates to how to keep more money, how to multiply more money, and our our thought process going forward as well. So who are you? What you do? First off, thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited. I, I want to give back a little bit of praise to you because when I first met you, your energy is affecting. It's infectious, right? And so I so love that. I love what you're doing for our industry. I love how you're you're not accepting the status quo of the way it's done. And so I think you're disruptive. You're being disrupting. And so I think that is super great. And I'm off the charts excited about how our friendship will grow and how we'll um, have more business contacts as a relate of it. But to answer your question, Vinny Fisher, I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Fully Accountable. That company uh, is getting close to being an eight-figure company. Uh, I've had uh, three of those before this one where this year at some point we'll have 100 people on the team. Uh, We provide outsourced accounting and finance to e-commerce and digital companies. And someday here as we keep growing, we'll probably pick up another niche or two. But where we live is we provide the four jobs of the accounting and finance department, the executive bookkeeper, the controller, the financial analyst, and the CFO. We provide that as our core package for less than having the executive bookkeeper in your building. That's that's incredible. And and one of the things that really got to the core of who, you know, your story is, because I can relate a lot. Like I do this show selfishly, by the way, like I want to get to know people. And so when you shared your story, you've had a lot of ups and downs. And I'm wondering if you can just take us through growing up and just some of the experiences that you had, because I think that's really the foundation of who you are as a person and the, the empathy that you, that you carry out and just how you interact with people, how you lead, how you speak, how you've grown multiple businesses. And, and so would you, would you, uh, give your background story? Yeah. So I'm a, this year, 25 years married. So I have four teenagers in our home right now. So my full-time gig is being the dad and good husband is to them. And then my part-time gig is the 75 people in our company where I'm side hustling and running as the CEO. And my story is this, you know, this company we have now uh, is a culmination of some really bad things that were aware in my life. One of them we'll talk about is my lack of financial fluency. But I think some of that started when you look way back. I was a poor kid. Yep. We were probably upper, lower class in our desire to live a lifestyle that was more than what we could, but we were the poorest upper, lower class we could be because everything went out faster than it came in and we were always in debt and lights off in my house, just all these things are interesting as a childhood. Well, 
along the way, I, I, I would learn to be whatever I needed to be in the room. I was the finest of finest posers. Well, that led to me being a really good salesman. And so I believed in gross revenue far more than I ever believed in, in, in net revenue. And so I could make a bunch of money, but I wouldn't keep it. And I would go make a bunch more and I wouldn't keep it. And so I was just on this crazy train. You know, how many guys can say they've had three eight-figure companies? And yeah. Two of them they broke and one of them they exited. So thank good we had to keep some. But a lot of that crazy train was really me and my background and who I was. And I was gifted with the skill of being able to say things well. And I was gifted with the skill of being able to have a marketing mindset towards a consumer. But I was never, ever developing the skill of keeping it. And mm. one day I woke up, I'm like, it's more about what you keep than yep. what you make. And I'm like, and I know that might sound very juvenile to most of us listening, uh, but that's what hit me. And that literally that changed the trajectory uh, for Deb and I and, and the things we've built. And, and just also, I want to go back to your college days as well. You, I mean, you pretty much practically dropped, dropped out of college where it was a failure. And then you turn, turned that, that around. Like, how has that impacted who you are today? That's a big question there, buddy. So no, I actually, I did better than just drop out. I got kicked out. Oh, there you go. Because <laughs> I, you know, I went into the, I went into playing division one soccer at a college and I was, you know, excelled at sports and, you know, I went to this wonderful uh, Jesuit school in Buffalo, Canisius College. And so I came out of the gates real hard playing soccer well and really excelled at school. And I ended up with a 1A after my first year. They mm. loved it so much. They gave me a second chance only for me to give a 1-6 back in my first year of my second year. I found family in mm. a functional way when I went to school and I just partied. Yeah. Well, thank God. Really thank God for Debbie. He introduced her to me in my life at a time where I kind of believed that was my destiny in life. My life's like, why does that have to be your destiny? It's just what happened. It doesn't have to be what always happens. Right. And like, I literally was able to take that, redeem coming back to school, maintaining a 4.0 all the way through after begging my way back into college. Uh, I turned that into going to law school, got a law degree, had a big law practice. Uh, so it was a big turnaround story. And so what I take from that is what you did before doesn't have to define who you are going forward. And when you, when you give advice to your kids, because you just yep. said your kids are all teenagers, yep. what in your life experience do you like pour back on them as it relates to you've gone up and down, you've built companies, you've lost money, you've made a lot of money. What, what, what would you share with them as it relates to your experiences, you know, as you've through life? I think wisdom is a funny thing. It keeps adding on to you, right? And so the more you seek it, the more it's added on to you as you seek it. And so I'd say the big thing that's in a season of life, as I said to the kids is I share with them my inequity. I share with them my losses because I want to show what it looks like to overcome the lies of the story that you've been told. And so the story is your story. The, the, the agreements you make along the way are, are the parts of the story that aren't true. And yeah. I had a bunch of them. I, was, I, I, I wasn't worthy. I was yeah. all alone. No one else could help me. Um, I, I only could go so far. I'll kick my coverage. I'm a poor kid. Wait till they find out what kind of fraud I am. So I just talked to my kids about we all face these attacks. And it's, it's not like today's world where they say, you know, whatever you believe is true. Be right. careful what you believe because it might not be true. When I, get, when I heard about your business yep. for the first time, I'm like, man, I got to know you. <laughs> I actually got your number. I texted you and I'm like, hey, yeah. I want to learn from you. Number one, because I'm experiencing a lot of entrepreneurs that we're serving. They're doing yep. a very, very bad job on their books, on their back end. And just yep. like you said, 
a lot of people are focused on keep it or making that money. I see some plaques on the wall that prove yeah. the fact that you could make a lot right. of money. A poser is right there, buddy. I can make it. Yep. But but the reality is how how are you keeping that? And, and it's interesting because we focus a lot on this this before we talk about products, before we talk about multiplying your money. What are the most efficient ways to keep it? And just hearing you speak at the conference, like it's very apparent that you have a wealth of knowledge. As it relates to entrepreneurs, what are the biggest mistakes that people are making when it's, as it relates to running their business and keeping their money? I'll tell you, it's the one I talk to my kids a lot about too. We think in such a yesterday mindset. We think about what do I get by this tomorrow or Friday? Mm -hmm. We need to expand the length of time that we think. And the younger you are, the harder that is to do. Yep. And that's why I'm impressed about you, Caleb. Like you think in longer paradigms. And so if I could tell the younger Vinny, which is Caleb to me, anything, it would be lengthen the paradigm that you're making decisions. Yep. And young kids need to invest in developing expertise and, and endurance and a longer story. So for example, like life insurance. I remember early on, I knew I needed it, term insurance to protect Debbie. And I kind of got introduced to like how to use infinite banking and whole life and the, the power of having a bank account with all these benefits. Well, in the first phase of learning about that, I had such a short mindset of thinking. I didn't think in longer terms. So I even let one of those policies lapse mm. because it was such an expensive premium to make. Well, looking back, I'm like, that was so short-sighted. Had I thought longer, it would have been such a powerful vehicle. Now, thankfully, I was able to write that ship on that, those insurance products. Mm. I totally buy into that. But what will happen for Deb and I in a 10, 15-year period a massive amount of wealth sitting inside of our insurance vehicles. And all I did was start to stretch out my thinking. And so what happens with entrepreneurs, we pour every penny back into our business. Right. And you know what? In all fairness, most wealth for the 1% is in their business. 100%. Over 84% of people's net worth is tied up in their companies. But we have to find a very disciplined, steward-filled way to have guys like you in our lives who help us pull some of that out and think longer. Well, and that's, it's interesting. You, you mentioned life insurance and in our first conversation, I shared with you what I did and you were like, you just nailed it right on the, and in fact, you're like, I'm doing the strategy that you're teaching people. And I'm like, wow, I, I like you even more. Yeah. Uh, so you're, I mean, when you said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, we need to hear more and more of this. And there's an, there's a mindset of people who are taught about, oh, you know, insurance is just like this thing in case you're dead. It's, okay. Well, that's, that, you know, I do believe that you spend a dollar of insurance, you can buy money way faster than you could ever accumulate in other ways. But my grandpa used to say, it's like betting on the horse, you hope it doesn't win. Right. One of the big things that the paradigm shifts that I've had is, listen, if you're your greatest asset and your business is your, your best asset as far as investments, right. wouldn't it be amazing to be able to reinvest your, your capital into that, but still keep it along the way? And that's essentially, it, as far as a business yep. owner goes, like that's, that's what we do how to take a dollar and do two things rather than one. Now, when it comes to, let's, I want to talk about fully accountable because mm -hmm. this is something that I, I want to learn more about. But as far as like, if, if a business owner is listening to this, yep. or if someone is in a startup business or what, what are the key principles that they can learn from you um, that your company does? Because you guys have a really powerful tagline. And it's like for the cost or less than one bookkeeper, we'll take care of it all. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. That's and a great I'm offer. It's a, and so I think it has to go, go up a few levels or above or below that, depending on how you order your thinking. It has to start with us, the CEO entrepreneur, the kind of the maverick who started the whole thing. So for me, 
I didn't have any financial fluency. And what that means is like, you ever like watch Shark Tank and you see the founder go on there and you're like, how do you not know this information? You were getting ready for this show. And yeah. one night we were watching it, Debbie's like, well, that's you. And mm. I'm like, I resemble that comment. And I remember laughing about it. And I, you know that you don't have enough of attachment to the back parts of your business. If you don't know some very basic things like, what does it cost to acquire the customer? What's yep. my profit margin of my business? What's my profit margin of my industry? How much cash do we have? Um, how long does a customer stick around? Like some very basic metrics that stand true across all business categories are an indicator of your attachment to the backside of your business. Mm. And so what happens is most small businesses lack the resources. They lack three things. They lack the time. They're so busy doing something else. They lack the money because they can't afford to buy those positions. And they lack the resources. They're not going to go buy all those resources. Mm. So we treat this idea of keeping money and dealing with all that is this like secondary dead-end thing. And the system that's built for big businesses thinks very proactively about their money. And so small businesses, because of necessity or lack of resource, we don't think that way. So if I can get an owner to think with a little bit more forecast and forward thinking, then the ability to go take a service like mine where you can buy the entire department and have all of that on a fractional basis that does the whole thing, with this technology today, there's no longer a reason other than embarrassment and shame as to why you don't have a solution like ours what do you think the biggest mistake business owners are making? Because what I'm finding is there's a lot of a lot of my friends that are starting businesses, they're going to run out of money. And that's like their biggest fear. And yet that, that fear of money drives all the decisions. So it's like a race to the bottom almost. 82% of companies will go out of business because of lack of cash flow. And wow. so it's a real fear. Yeah. And so the, the interesting thing is we won't actually address it. We'll ignore it. And what we'll do is we'll just go, you know, I remember walking on stage at uh, this great conference called Traffic Conversion. I was getting an award for marketer of the year. Yep. And as we're walking up on stage, I leaned over to my partner and said, wouldn't it be interesting if this whole audience knew that when we were half the size, we were more profitable? I think we'll solve problems by just making it bigger. One of the problems I think that happens in this idea of this entrepreneurial mindset is this fear without any real investment in fixing it. The actual ability to fix this, it needs to be respected. And so at what the sad part is the lawyer in me sees the problem. We treat everything like we're getting ready for a tax return. Yes, yes. So the end of the year is we're getting ready for a tax return. We race, 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 race to pay the least amount of taxes. Well, mature businesses have a layer in place where they have an accounting and finance department. And at that layer, they deal with these things that are important to the business. And then you, the owner, have a flow through from that. We skip that step in small businesses. And, uh, and the businesses, so many of them go out of business that don't need mm -hmm. to because they're missing the component of maturity in the business. And then what they do is they treat everything like a tax return. They don't separate themselves as the owner from them inside of being an operator in the business. Okay. Yeah. So that's, it's really, really interesting. We could unpack why most businesses are failing. And it's, and it is that, it is that mindset of like working on the business, not paying yourself. And it's, yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to think like, do you think there's a solution? Like, do you think if, if certain information got out, they would help or are most businesses, 82% of businesses doomed to fail? I think in a free marketplace, these there are certain stats that are, are, are sobering, but yeah. also, right? I, I, you know, a big thing for me, my faith is important to me. You yes. know and so a, a favorite, you know, when I look to for guidance, I look for scripture and scripture yeah. said, you know, the road is narrow, only a few will travel. Yeah. Right? 
I actually think that's true in business. You and I need to keep screaming this as loud yeah. as we can. Work on the maturity of your operation more and more, right? Get, get off of being milk fed and get onto whole yeah. food yeah. because it's a narrow path. And at the end of the day, the stats of about 82% is still real yeah. because only a few people will walk down that path. And those are the people we want to help get down that path. They're just, they don't know how to get there. I wish more would go. Right. But when I wrote these books, I have a couple of them, they're bestsellers. I, my publisher said, be very careful. Only one out of 10 people are going to even start reading your book. And out of those one, only yeah. one out of the 10 of those will actually get through the first chapter. I'm like, so you're telling me one in a hundred people will read my yeah. book. She's like, yeah, it's about right. That is really what happens when you look at, I think entrepreneurs, a lot of people, we got clever. We wrote an offer. We did a thing. We have a thing. I don't think we set out to be business people. I think we were, we wanted something else. And only a small percentage of people actually work on the maturity of the business. And that small percentage of people who do are the ones who push through and endure. And are there percentages of other people who make it in spite of themselves? Yes. But when you look at the statistics, you're very consistent with what you and I are talking about. So can we unpack the, the, the idea of false profits? Because it, we have a saying around here where we say, if, someone, if an entrepreneur tells us our, their salary or what they make, we always divide that in three. And that's what they actually make. So is that, do you find that being true? Like do, do a lot of people overestimate their business and what they do? And, and is false profits being so focused on the gross number and not actually having any money to, be, to begin, like end with? Yeah, so the tagline, it's not the top line that pays you, right? And so it, one day I woke up and I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and it was the whole story. This is the story of Fully Accountable and like what businesses need to do for their own business. And um, this whole idea of puffing or yep. posing one of the things I love parts about that, there's, it's not all bad. Entrepreneurs, we have this drive and spirit to push ahead. Right. You get a greater propensity than most people ever have the tolerance for. The problem is we lack the maturity to be honest sometimes, right? We have to keep everything optimistic because yep. if we don't, then we, we somehow lose the mojo. Well, that's an overcorrection. Can we be positive in light of all these honest facts? And I think as a very interesting fact I think I might have told you is that the most successful entrepreneur is, resides between 45 and 55. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons is that he or she starts to understand some of these things. Mm -hmm. and it's about what you keep. And so this idea of saying I, I make 100 sales a day when in reality you make 25 um, is this kind of like we want people to see the impressiveness of what we're growing. And we see this future vision of everything. I don't think we're setting out the lie. I think we're talking about the future self of who we are. Do I think there's posing there? Yes. Do I think people are puffing everything? Yes. Do we see that as an accounting company? Yeah. Um, which is why people will, won't even move from one accounting disaster and get out of it. It's because that person at least knows the truth. They don't have to go to them and tell another person. I really would wish people would get through that, but it tells a bigger story. I think we want to impress. Yep. And we want it to be bigger. And sadly, it's what leads to most people's demise. What's interesting, because when we sit across the table and help someone with their money, we're yep. really looking at the second step is the optimization step. Before we talk about investing, before we yep. talk about the life insurance stage, we want to optimize what they're currently doing, increasing their cash flow, looking at their assets. And that's an example of it doesn't matter what you make or what, what assets you have if they're not translating into a powerful way for your business or the results that you want. And I just see that as a, a beautiful example and 
Um, what I, we do in our company, like for some of our clients, let's not make this all just about me, but what, what I want people to think about, even, you know, we, don't, we shouldn't work with everybody. So I want someone to hear what they can do. Yes. The big thing is this idea of benchmarking. Yes. So what benchmarking is, is having something to guide against. And by the way, we love to give a free gift away. Um, we have a, a gift page that we've created for your people. So fullyaccountable.com forward slash Caleb is what we made. But would you like us to change it to something else? We, no, that's perfect. Great. That's what we made. So we'll put that here for everybody. And on there, we have a benchmarking report and a cash flow report. But the thing I want to talk about is this idea of benchmarking. I think it's a big deal for a business owner. If you could think like this, you know, in, in the accounting industry, historically, a 30% profit margin is what you would expect to run this type of business. And so, you know, I, my book that I wrote was about a health supplement company. I and that type of company should have been profiting about 20%. Mm-hmm. And my example in, in, in our book, it's called Solving for X. I, I was running at about an 8% profit margin. So someone would say, oh, wow, you have 8%. You're making money. You're profitable. Well, when I realized this concept of benchmarking, I realized I was losing 12% every month. Mm-hmm. I, there was a leaky bucket of things that were happening in my business that weren't being optimized. So I really should have been profiting 20% the type of business I had. So I was losing 12%. I wasn't gaining 8%. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, it makes total sense. So what we started to do was take our profit and loss statement and we would benchmark every category, our cost to acquire the customer, what's the industry standard, the amount of labor you should have in a company that size, how much does it cost for the bottle to show up in the customer's hands, what's the cost of goods sold. So then we know what's our contribution margin, what's left after getting it in the customer's hands. Okay, how much should we pay for this? And we reverse engineered through benchmarking what the profit margin of the company should be. And we started managing and optimizing off of that. If nobody did anything else but heard the last minute of conversation, that would be a game changer for your business. And, and benchmarking is huge. And even personally, it's this idea of paying yourself first and, and making sure that you can, yeah, I love that, man. I, I love that. And reverse engineering what you want. Are you, are you a fan of profit first? I like Mike. Mike's got some good stuff. You know, I always tease him. I'm like, I think you tell good theories. Let's give yeah. him a little more of a roadmap of how to get there. But I think his idea of having a reserve is huge. Um, so, you know, we'll get clients, oh my gosh, you got to read Profit First. It's amazing. I'm like, all right, great. Love it. Love the principle behind it. And I think the big principle there is that most entrepreneurs don't think about paying ourselves first. first. We actually think about whatever's left. Right. And the idea behind Profit First is the same idea that I just laid out with benchmarking is this idea of that your company should have a profit margin that's yes. acceptable for the type of business you are. And what are you doing to fight for that margin? And from there, you can do things like create a reserve. I think a reserve is a secondary talk behind profit margin because I think the target of a margin is, a, is far more critical than the general concept of save money. I could talk to you for hours about this, but I'm going to move on to leadership because one thing I admire greatly about you is your ability to lead your family and your business. So if you had to summarize leadership for someone like myself or someone getting into a business or running a business, what are the biggest leadership insights that you've had for, through the successes and failures? I'll tell you, it comes back to some scriptural principles for me. You know, I must be humbled and my team must be exalted. So mm-hmm. you're going to continually hear me use language like us and we, not mm-hmm. I and me. If you want to grow a business that's all about you, then do it. But don't complain that it won't grow beyond your shadow. And so for me, I, I, I am thankful that I have a softened heart towards team. You know, we just won an award this week from Inc., uh, from Ford Magazine about um, one of the greatest places in America to work. 
So wow. you'll see us bragging about that and we're excited. And our, But my team, I'm excited for them because they're the ones that actually made that happen. Not yeah. me, right? And so um, the thing that I lead with a lot is what can I do to help that person be a better leader and a better manager? So mm-hmm. I'm like a king slash sage developing leaders right now. Mm-hmm. And so I really inherently am thankful when I look at my businesses and the thousands of employees that I've had, you know, I've switched from employee to team member. And so you'll hear me interchange those, but it's to think about an enterprise and how it's got to be bigger than you. And the only way to do that is to invest in the quality people that you're growing around. you. love that, man. Um, can, I want to move now on to what you're doing personally with your wealth. Um, and, and as it relates to how do you see money, what are you doing and how are you growing wealth for the future? So, you know, Deb and I have made some decisions. We were, we were poor kids. So, you know, we had a chip on our shoulder. We're like, oh, wow, you know, we'll get it again. We had it, you know, but I, if, you, if I look at, you know, as provision, abundance, prosperity, all these things, and we have all this wonderful stuff, I, I had to realize that I, at, under my poverty mindset, I was mm-hmm. living on if come not income. Oh, wow. And I, when I made that shift and I looked at my income as this wonderful privilege of what I had, well, then what am I going to do with it? Yep. You know, the parable of the talents was important to me. Was I going to be a guy that did, took 10 and turned it into something, took seven and turned it into something, or took one and buried it? Mm. I looked and evaluated my life. I was like the guy who buried it. And I would just like do those types of things. And I'd be annoyed that it didn't expand. When I started to be around people like you and was prompted in the spirit to think about multiplication and provision, now we have, Deb and I own multiple companies. We have, we own our office building. We have savings. We have insurance policies. We have savings for the children. We, we, we don't look to one avenue. We take things away. We don't move into that lifestyle. And we've created a diversity of our own personal portfolio and we have taken our wealth and expanded that and the best place we've done is we've invested back we've invested back in the kingdom we've built an orphanage we've and i'm not going to say we're talking about all those treasures we've built up but they're giving back is one of the most critical ways to creating wealth and it i'm not going to give you a prosperity gospel talk i'm going to give you one of the secrets to joy in in, of, of building is giving well, and Andy Stanley said this quote that just impacted my life. He said, the value of your life is always measured by how much of it was given away. No one's going to care at your funeral, man, about the money that you saved up or the wealth that you created, but they're going to remember what you gave of yourself. And, I, and it's just, again, it's what is wealth? And that's my next question. How do you define better wealth? When I look to, so I came from a pretty broken environment. Our family was pretty broken up. We didn't, we, we, my, my family wasn't looking to the Lord. Yep. Um, we were walking with them. So when I look to my family unit, I, I'm the wealthiest guy in Babylon. I have a mm. wife who's my friend. I have four teenagers. You could be saying extra prayers for me. And we are living life together. And I, when I look at the generational kind of stop point we put in place where we were the cycle breakers. And I look what the Lord's allowed Deb and I to do. Money is fun. It's, you know, I believe in the, you know, the idea of, of, of acquisition. I also yep. believe that you have a job and let's be good at it. And yeah. you know, if you do something really well, you'll produce results. I think there's a lot of cliche things out there that are just real statements. But at the end of the day, you know, um, it, I like having money. It makes things more fun and more enjoyable, but really my wealth, uh, is measured by my character and reputation. Right. I'm going to put you on the spot now because, and this is going to be a bonus question. I know that you do infinite banking. 
Can, yeah. you, can I ask how that's structured in your life and how you're using it? And like, I, I just because this audience loves to hear different ideas and we have some yeah. ins- insane so, case studies. And so, yeah. Great. Was, you know, I, I told you that first phase, I just had it, kind of blew it off. That was a way to save money. But now we invest on a monthly basis in our insurance policies. And so we have one that's just there to build up a cash account. Yep. And, it's, and, it, and it's got a death benefit. And so if we check up short on that process, that'll be there. We have a second one. And that one, literally, we use to fund things with. In other words, it's building up cash, but we might do a hard money loan to a young startup or, or to a real estate venture, and it's money making money for itself. Mm-hmm. And the third one is straight up investing dollars into businesses. Yep. I believe in growing, growing my wealth through active operation. So those other companies I own, I've also been an investor in those. So those are my three categories. I, I love that. I love that. All right. The question that I want to end our show with is called the legacy question. This is your last day on earth. You're with the people that you love the most, your family, your wife. And what are you going, what's that conversation going to be like? What are you going to share with them? What are what are you going to pass on to them if you had one last conversation? It's exactly what I'm going to tell you. We, we, the men who have been equipped with a soft heart, with ears that can hear and eyes that can see, we need to be encouraging and loving the people that have been placed in our life. I need to be telling my sons they have what it takes. They are a man. I need to be telling my daughters that they're beautiful and abundant and protected and loved greater than I can ever. I need to tell them that I'm not the strongest man in their life. And, and, and the, for the faith of our family, that's Jesus for them. And I need to be telling you, like, keep doing what you're doing, getting this message out and helping the people who have the ears to hear it. Because we need to encourage more. There are people have it there who are afraid to voice it. And I think this, I, I hope that my voice is capable of being active those last hours because I am going to be what I am always, an encourager. I encourage, I encourage, I encourage. I might even be an exhorter. I kind of see it in you more than you see it in yourself. And boy, I would love to see more of that. And you know what? At the end of the day, I'm not going to, I'm not going to miss offering some evangelism to share the hope and joy that I have. And if you, and and believe in something greater than what's currently happening to me. So I'm going to share that too. I I love that, man. Um, I admire you and respect you greatly. And it's, it's really cool to see as I'm hoping to build an empire myself to look to people that have already done it and have been humble enough to give back. And so thank you. How can people find out more about your company? I know that you mentioned um, the full, fullyaccountable.com slash Caleb is where yeah, you that's guys- That's one way they can do it by getting gifts and that'll be fully available to everybody here. And Vinny Fisher, V-I-N-N-I-E Fisher, I'm very accessible. I have a footprint on <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Well, you can always go to fullyaccountable.com and connect there. Vinny at Fully Accountable. I, I'm extremely accessible, Caleb. I have a big footprint. I'm our brand ambassador. And so as such, I'm very available. And I use it as an opportunity to get to meet other bright uh, business people who really want something bigger than just some money in their pocket. There's a lot of good nuggets. Sometime we'll have to do a follow-up and I'll, I want to go deeper. I was like stopping myself multiple times because I wanted to go like deeper in one subject, but this was a great overview. Thank you so much. Oh, you're Thank welcome. You. Thanks for having me. What we should do is I'll get, we'll, we'll tape a show, a big one for our, for our crew and we'll get deeper. We'll do a, like a deeper session. I, I would love that, man. Be good. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.